Well, hello and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about all things Unreal Engine and also quadruple wielding lightsabers. We're your hosts. My name's Alex. And I'm Jacob. Welcome to uh, an exciting episode. Uh, make sure you like, rate, comment, subscribe, all of those things. We're always happy to hear from folks who listen to the podcast. But we got an exciting episode today because who's with us, Alex? Our very first returning guest. Very first? That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, Welcome, Steve. Yeah, thank you. My name is Steve Began. I'm senior technical artist at ILM Immersive. Um, that is new as of last time that I was on this podcast. Um, I think it was just after the podcast, actually. And I, like, really wanted to talk about it at the time, but it was like I couldn't, <laughs> like, quite bring it up yet. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for having me. We're not too hurt. It's okay, Steve. We can forgive you. And just a reminder to everyone, if you're trying to remember how to pronounce Steve's last name, rhymes with vegan. And you're not a vegan, though. Is That's that correct? correct. Those are both correct. Wow. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of, of times you were here last, we got a lot of really nice feedback on that uh, tutorial that you did. And a lot of people have said, hey, when are you guys going to do more of those? Because that was really wonderful. Um, do you remember what that was and what you did? Yeah. So if I remember correctly, this was uh, an Unreal 5.1, probably, tutorial of using a material parameter collection uh, being driven by a construction script blueprint to effectively um, dynamically mask uh, a motorcycle with like a cool like emissive effect uh, as it as it moved along um, it was it looks like a really cool like Niagara system with a lot of like cool particles going on um, but it was really just reflective surfaces a lot of fancy lighting and uh, some some very expensive shader magic that probably doesn't run at a very high frame rate but uh, it was a lot of fun to work on and um, probably the coolest thing I've ever worked on in Unreal for a personal project. And getting to show that to people really opened up a lot of doors for me, um, like just on ArtStation or uh, on Twitter, um, whatever. And yeah, I was really glad I was able to show it here and that um, people were able to uh, check that out. Really glad about that. Yeah, that's awesome. It was a, a really generous thing of you to do for the community, and uh, we're all about that. Fun fact, by the way, uh, over at Unreal Fest the other week, I heard a lot of people saying Niagara, Niagara, Niagara. <laughs> and it's like, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to say Niagara, but who knows? Um, there's so many different nationalities and cultures working in Unreal. For all I know, the person who invented Niagara particles might actually have a different pronunciation for it. Of course, I always assumed it was named after Niagara Falls. Yeah, I, I made that mistake as well originally actually when it came because I, I feel like if you don't read the word Niagara that often the phonetics definitely are like Niagara or, or, or something like that it, because there's the extra a in there and I don't know how that spelling may you know made it in but I, I totally get that one I, I sympathize for the folks who, who, yeah who that's a good point like there's not a lot of words that have a silent a <laughs> the way that does silent vowels are, are kind of kind of strange can we start a rumor and say that nanite is named after uh artist at epic called tim nanite uh, it's not actually about you know anything else that's that's actually um just dedicated to his hard work on the project yeah if his name's tim nanite now i'm imagining that it's like a a a son of tim sweeney right. like a unclaimed yeah. you know other son where he's like i will give him my name but not my just my name. first name <laughs> <laughs> there's so many tims yeah. at epic too. Um, oh i know there are there are like i can think of like four off the top of my head besides tim yeah. sweeney 
Um, okay, now we have to do everything. So then we've got like, you know, um, Freddie Lumen, you know, works at Apple oh, yeah. too. And um, Bill Virtual Shadow Mass. <laughs> it's, it's quite the family over it there. It just rolls off the tongue, really. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's fun. So obviously Unreal Engine has changed a lot since 5.1 and when we saw you last. What are some of the things about Unreal Engine over the past year that are exciting you, Steve? Mm. Uh, PCG and Substrate. Or is it Strata now or is it Substrate? It's, it, it was strata and it is substrate. Yeah. Uh, those yeah. are the two things that as soon as I saw them, I was like, okay, this is going to be the thing I obsess way too much about. And that like, everyone's going to be sending me articles anytime there's an announcement. And I'm just going to be like that guy for the next few years. Um, they're very complicated systems and they're changing with every system in good ways. Um, yeah, those are the two things though that I've I've kind of highlighted. Uh, but it's cool seeing like all of the different systems like Nanite and Lumen and Virtual Shadow Maps. That all of all of these cool features in Unreal Five come together more closely and um, in a way that is more performant and less buggy. Is always nice. Yeah, that's cool. So um, I know we can't probably go too deep into the weeds of, of your work at ILM Immersive, formerly uh, ILM XLab, but I'd love to hear a little bit just about the role of senior technical artist, which is a role you've held in the past. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the general structure of like a day in the life? Are you in Unreal a lot? Are you more just talking to other people and having meetings? Is there anything you can say about um, just how, how that looks compared to other companies where you've had a similar title? Sure. So for anyone not in the, in the know with the whole structure and hierarchy. Uh, Lucasfilm is within Disney and ILM, ILM Immersive, and those companies are within uh, Lucasfilm. So uh, I'm at ILM Immersive, not ILM. So I'm on the uh, games and experiences side. We do a lot of VR and AR development. Uh, on our website, you can see a lot of cool stuff we've done for like Star Wars, uh, some Disney stuff. We did um, like a Wreck-It Ralph VR thing. Uh, nothing I can talk about that I've worked on. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about like what a senior technical artist does. Um, I, I may have talked about this last time I was on, but the, the term technical artist is such a vague term. It's, it's really a catch-all. It, it kind of means like a 3D generalist slash coder slash shader wizard, just kind of a unicorn who can um, make shiny things and make problems go away. Um, so companies like Island Immersive, when there's a technical artist, they kind of, they're either like a shader person or they're good at like developing tools similar to like a pipeline engineer perhaps. Um, or they're closer to like a 3D generalist, generalist, or maybe um, closer to like look development. So there's a lot of a lot of needs and a lot of um, parts that uh, tech art works with, and it's it's actually very close to visual effects on the game side. So where that would be more like Niagara and Houdini kind of stuff, um, I'd say tech art and VFX are kind of cousins. I was trying to pull up the um, the ILM uh, immersive website on our screens here. Our tags just don't seem to be working. Uh, Jacob, I don't know if you want to try to give that a try. Right. Yeah, I can give it a try. Cool. Yeah, and um, are you in Unreal quite a oh, bit? Oh, yeah. So um, that's, that's one thing I really love about how my career has developed. Uh, before, it was like I was in Unreal like 50 to 70% of the time, and now it's like 99% of the time 
And it's, it's a lot more fun that way, getting to keep in the program that I'm most proficient at. Um, yeah, back when I was doing ArcViz, um, I used to spend a lot of time in 3ds Max, uh, doing a lot of modeling, a lot of cleanup. You, you were the exact same, I'm sure. Uh, so, yeah, making the change. <laughs> yeah, making the change from ArcViz to uh, oh, I have a star on my arm from my toddler. That was, that was nice. Um, <laughs> that's because I did a good job eating dinner. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, good work. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm all Unreal all the time, baby. <laughs> That's cool. Do you ever miss anything uh, about the more, I want to say, like manual drudgery of day-to-day work? Or is it wow. pretty good being in When you put it that way. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I wish I could just like hop into Maya and just like spend the day like listening to a podcast or watching a show and just like model a room, something like that. Or like make a building that I could then bring in Unreal. But um, getting to focus on my particular skill set and only on my skill set is probably better for everybody in the end run. I, I know exactly what you mean, though. Like, that's something that there's a lot less of nowadays is a kind of repetitive, almost meditative action where it's like, I know this is going to take all day. I'm ready for it. I'm going to put on some music or a podcast. And like, I can kind of turn half my brain off and just go through it all. There's so much more automation of this stuff now that most of the work we can do in a day does require a lot more attention and focus. Uh, I used to watch Netflix all day when doing this kind of stuff. And now like, that's pretty rare. There's just too many things that require uh, all my attention. So yeah, I, I think we relate to each other. Yeah, on that. Uh, lately I've been finding myself in a position where like I know exactly the tasks I need to do for the next like two hours. So I, I can just like look at this right. screen and like go through that work. And I'm almost to the point where I'm like confident enough in what I'm doing that I can also watch something at the same time. But if I'm doing something in Unreal that's going to need both of my brain cells to participate at the same time, <laughs> can't can't multitask. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. And by the way, Steve, are you remote or are you going into an I'm office? I'm fully remote. So I'm based in Kansas City. Um, I've been fully remote for the past two, two and a half years now. Um, yeah, I love it. And how do you like it? I that? love it so <laughs> yeah, much. Great. Yeah. So my <laughs> wife and I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. Um, so having that flexibility to be with family and, um, be able to take care of things around the house. And then also, you know, just commute 13 seconds down the stairs to, to work has been truly incredible. Um, that being said, uh, I, I can go weeks without seeing someone face to face who is not a daycare provider or immediate family. And that is hard. Like yeah. you, you really have to put in the effort to like socialize with people a lot more. Um, yeah. Are you able to make it out to any uh, conferences, trade shows, events, anything oh, like that? Man, um, not as much as I used to. So I used to do conferences and speaking things all the time. I used to like do a lot of organizing um, I kind of stopped when COVID hit because of COVID, but also because our firstborn firstborn was born then. Um, so it's it's been work and parenting all the time. Uh, but I think in the next couple of years, I'm, I'm going to open myself up more to like traveling some more, doing conferences. I really wish I had made it to Unreal Fest this year. So I'm going to try to go next year. Um, 
It was it was quite a trip. Jacob and I had a good yeah. time. For yeah, sure. yeah I, I was going to say uh, regarding your previous comment about uh, working from home and not seeing people all that often. I, you know, we when we were at Unreal Fest, uh, you know, I, I think we mentioned this in the last episode. Alex would be just getting pulled over all over the place, and I, I, I was amazed at, at how good Alex is at you know staying connected with people. And I feel the exact opposite day to day. Uh, and when I go to a conference, I just get overwhelmed. You know, like I, I it's it's a lot of social contact for me because I, I also work from home most of the time. Yeah. So I relate to yeah. to, uh, to what you're, you're you're coming from here. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, I think Alex, we've known each other for like five years or something, something like that. We have yeah. never met in person, not once. It's true. You're yeah. right. <laughs> I've only seen you on video um, the handful of times, and that's it. But we've like interacted yeah. on social media. I've probably so much. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I've probably you know seen your your tweets and and listened to your voice more than I've even seen your face, especially when you were doing more Unreal Learning content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I should mention that too. I used to do. Um, a lot of training content for Unreal. I'm a Unreal 4 authorized instructor. I got to do the five thing at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, I used to teach um, VR development at the Kansas City Art Institute. I've done a lot of training stuff. Um, yeah. Those days are behind me. Now it's all work, all parenting. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I imagine that's something you probably miss, just the joys of education and spreading the gospel of a cool technique. I, I do. I think that that expression you see on a student's face when they realize that, like, they can, like, pick up this new technology and do something new and unique uh, effectively at the speed of thought, like, that's that's a really exciting thing to see. And it's, it's so gratifying to... Um, help open those doors for students. I do miss that. Yeah. But you do have kids. And uh, if Jacob will, will humor us for a second, uh, my friend Logan is coming to New York City tomorrow. And him and I used to host a podcast called the XR Dad Podcast. Now, we haven't done an episode in a very long time together. Maybe we'll do one tomorrow. But uh, Steve, let's have let's have a little like five minute, like little, you know, uh, honorary XR Dad episode. What's it like doing what you do um, while also having young children. And maybe this is something we can talk about for a moment and Jacob can drink some tea or something. <laughs> um, yeah, so our, our oldest is three and a half and he's very adventurous. He wants to like know what I'm doing, be involved in everything. Um, with VR and AR development, um, I tend to have a lot of things around my desk that are not kid-friendly, things that are grateful. <laughs> things that you don't want thumb smudges all over or applesauce spilling on them. So um, yeah. he doesn't, I haven't put him in a headset. I don't know like when the point is when like you like really engage them with XR technology. Um, but my son loves Star Wars. And mm -hmm. It's kind of because I'm making him love Star Wars. So um, <laughs> that's going to kind of be the entry into uh, what daddy does for work every day. <laughs> Yeah, I help make Star Wars. That's, That's cool. What What are some of the things that are highlights for them so far? Uh, in terms of like just like the Star Wars, Star Wars content, content that's really making them go uh, <laughs> pod racing in Star Wars Episode One. Um, sure. he, he has this <laughs> book of like 
uh, five minute Star Wars vignettes for kids. And the first one in that book is about the pod racing scene. Uh, he loves it so much. Um, our one and a half year old uh, doesn't care about any of it yet, but you know, she's going to love it too. She has to. She will. Yeah. She has yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Those younglings are bound for Star Wars fandom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should have um, uh, brought you on to the episode where we talked about uh, our time at the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Halcyon experience in Florida. And, and part of that was like, you know, I have it somewhere around here, but like building my own lightsaber and then my kids reacting to like the like as it all comes Wait, out don't don't, I don't ruin the video, don't ruin that okay that was the one reaction. that was the one spoiler i said not to not to get into alex oh no the lightsaber building experience okay so lay off it all right yeah J- jacob made the very reasonable request during our like four hours of talking about the experience he's like look fine talk about the halcyon stuff they're closing down but like there's other things in in you know galaxy's edge that are still going to be there so don't spoil that but yeah suffice to say like it's all really cool like i'll say that yeah. much <laughs> thank you thank you all right i'll i'll, yeah. I'll mute my mic again don't worry yeah <laughs> uh steve have you gone to any of the uh the theme parks or anything like I that have not but uh when our kids are old enough to like really appreciate and remember it we're gonna go all the time for sure yeah yeah do you get, I, I don't know if this is like a, a weird question, but do you get like, I want to say passes or discounts or anything like Oof. that? Uh, I will say it's complicated and just sure. kind of leave it at that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> complicated is a, a totally valid answer. I do. I, I, I can t- say that a lot of people who um, do work for, for Disney and various, you know, conglomerates uh, or, or different parts of Disney uh, told me very outright that like they did not get any special access to like go see the, uh, the Galactic Star Cruiser experience. So those tickets remained really hard to get regardless of what connections you had. I had a friend who was like best friends with one of the Imagineers who designed the whole thing. And even they were like, yeah, I just had to like, you know, wait in line on a phone and, and eventually I got in, but uh, not a lot of special privilege on that front. Wow. At least. Yeah. If, um, if I said, what are some that, of the things? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, oh, go, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead I, I was going to say, if I say any anything more than it's complicated, I'm going to get a bunch of people DMing me asking for like <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Well, you, you <laughs> could say that, like, I get special privileges, but they are literally just for me and no one else can have them like by law. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, are you saying, what I've heard is that, like, unless you work for the parks, giving out like passes and stuff like that is is not a plausible uh career path it 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 is it is extremely complicated disney has something like two hundred thousand employees so like there's a lot of like care and regulation about like what is and isn't allowed there um yeah i'm i'm not i'm not gonna miss discount at an apple store though what's that you get a 10% discount in Apple store though. I, I once lied and said, I worked for Disney to get a 10% discount. So I, I can't, hey, that's good to know. I was going to say, Steve, for most of the stuff, you can just say, I can neither confirm nor deny that that, might right. be true. <laughs> whether you're sure or not. Um, wh- one more question for the XR dad thing. So as you watch your, you know, very creative, young, beautiful children growing up, is there anything, uh, in terms of the work you're doing or, or kind of the path that you've been on that feels like important lessons to impart on them? Mm. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey, man, getting, getting here, uh, and not in like, not in a way that's like it's been great and easy and I've always, you know, had a great 
career path, uh, it's hard sometimes, you know, like uh, going from college through um, video production to, to getting into game development. I've, I've struggled a lot, a lot of the way, and I've learned a lot of things about like the importance of getting to know people and leaving a positive impression and um, always learning new things and um, being ready and eager to pick up um, the next piece of technology, the next thing that excites you. Um, that's the kind of stuff I want to pass on. Uh, like it's, yeah. it's, it's probably not going to be easy. Uh, you'll get there. You just got to keep trying. You know, that sounds like such a stupid and corny thing to say, you know, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to pass on just like a positive work ethic. Um, and, and the idea that being creative and getting to work on something as freaking cool as star Wars is completely possible and not outside the realm of possibility in any way. Yeah. What were some of the seminal, um, we'll, we'll just broaden it out to ILM. What are some seminal ILM properties uh, for you growing up or, or now? Oh man. Um, I mean, same as everybody else, I'm sure like the original star Wars, like I remember yeah. being like a f fifth grade kid and, uh, watching like the trench run for the first time and seeing like, it, it didn't even look like, like CGI or like, not real like i thought it was like actually something that happened you know like i was so into it and i loved it so much and i i um took our film camera and made like lego stop motion short films with my older brother in the basement and like that that was how it started for me uh and it never thought to me like yeah someday i can you know like keep doing the star wars stuff or something i i kind of like forgot about that for like you know <laughs> 20 years but um yeah the original star wars always stuck with me even now like i i adore those films so much i don't like you know watch them every year or something i hold them in a special place like lord of the rings where i only watch them once every few years so it stays special uh, but yeah that, th those films were just so incredible to me and now like working with people who worked on some of the films I watched as a kid and they're able to tell me like, Oh yeah, to do that thing, we did this. It's like, Oh, you can't just like drop that out of me without any warning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen, uh, I just have to, uh, fan girl for a moment about my favorite current, uh, star Wars property, which is Andor. Have you seen Andor? Oh yes. I love Andor. So good. Um, Andor has this incredible rewatch value where like I'm at the point now where I feel comfortable literally putting on any one of those episodes. Mm. And I think it's going to be like in the background while I'm doing other things. And then I get totally drawn in. Yeah. That show had a lot of, a lot of different stories and a lot of layers to it in a way that, um, I definitely didn't expect. I was expecting something more like, um, Mando or Kenobi where it's like you, sure. you have a character, maybe like a, a B story on the episode, but like, and, or like it, you did not know where it was going and it completely took me by surprise. Like every episode, every step of the way. Yeah. Uh, of course, I mean, I'm wearing the Lucasfilm shirt. I'm at ILM. I have to say, you know, glowing positive things about everything, but no, <laughs> for real, I, I did love Andor. Um, I, yeah. 
comes from the press. There's an interesting debate as well. Like, obviously, the writing and everything Tony Gilroy and, and his team did from that perspective were incredible. But it was interesting to see some of the comments about how uh, lived in Andor felt compared to some of the other shows. And some people said, well, Andor didn't use the volume or didn't use it as much as, as Mando and Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka have used it. Um, do you have any thoughts on like the VFX and CG, you know, arguments of one way versus another? That's a great point. I've, I've read that as well. Um, there was a tremendous amount of work that went into the art direction and uh, obviously like the, the, the way they designed the costumes that were so unique to like, the different like casts of character, like Imperial versus like destitute rebel, you know, people. Uh, it, it really felt very lived in. Um, probably a lot more work, but uh, yeah. that, that's speculation. I, I'm very impressed with whatever they did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever get an opportunity in your job to talk to um, other departments, other places in ILM, or, or are you pretty zoomed in on just the, uh, the immediate collaborators in ILM Immersive? Mm, that's a good question. Um, there are on occasion times when I talk to people from the non-immersive parts of the company. Um, there tends to be some overlap between ILM and ILM Immersive. Uh, just in terms of like people's um, career journeys, like a lot of going mm -hmm. to film uh, from games or the other way around. So um, yeah, getting to work with people who have more of like a film background is something that I haven't really experienced before. Um, rather than everyone being like a, you know, trained game developer, um, which is really cool because film and games have very different workflows uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I, I don't venture too much outside of immersive. And I think a lot of that is because I'm fully remote, if I'm honest. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so you're making me think as well, though, about when Lumen and Nanite were first announced, like one of the big promises of it. And I think uh, ILM and, and Star Wars were specifically used as an example of what could happen was this mo no this notion that a movie asset, say, like the same Millennium Falcon 3D model that would get used in a movie could then also be passed on to, say, ILM Immersive. And it's like, OK, let's you know, make it a nanite asset and it could live in a, a desktop VR experience. Is that kind of thing something you're seeing or is that still not quite ready for prime Did time? Did my eye just twitch when you said, <laughs> don't change the model? Um, yeah, I think if, if okay, so <laughs> uh, film models tend to be extremely dense. Uh, and not yeah. designed for real time. So they, I, I'm not referencing anything in particular when I say this. It, if you have right. a, you know, object that looks like a fairly primitive object, it could be millions of polygons because that is the amount of detail that that artist tried to sculpt into every single nook and cranny on that thing. Uh, and then when you kick it over to Unreal and you're like, hey, just use Nanite, it's okay. Uh, your tech artist is going to um, not be pleased. Uh, Nanite is tends to have some uh, optimization issues at times, so yep. there could be a great chance that your project is even using Nanite. Um, LOD concerns or you know 
what happens if you get a 10 million poly spaceship and then uh, you have to turn it around to an experience in a week? Well, you're going to have to remodel that thing and you're going to have to do all the LODs and you're going to have to, uh, you know, bake normals and everything on that. Excuse me. I get so worked up about uh, normals. Um, yeah, uh, there's a lot more to it than just kick it over to Unreal. I think it'll get there eventually. Um, it also depends on the application you're sending it to as well. So immersive, ILM Immersive does a lot of VR and AR experiences. Historically, uh, developing a VR or AR experience is more analogous to developing a mobile application. Mobile mm -hmm. applications uh, tend to not support Nanite or Lumen. Uh, so, um, yeah, getting a film asset into a headset is a big old hurdle there. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some interesting discussions, especially since Lumen and Nanite became more of a thing about how to deal with a project where maybe you do want to target desktop VR and mobile VR. So like, of course, you know, all the ILMX, uh, sorry, ILM immersive um, apps that I've experienced, I've tried out both um, the, you know, for example, Tales from Galaxy's Edge, both the PSVR 2 version and the Quest 2 version. For Vader Immortal, all three of those I've also seen in desktop mode, uh, as well as the standalone mode. And it's very cool seeing how like the functionality stays the same. It's just certain graphics and reflections and emissive properties are changing. Now that was all all done, I'm assuming, in, in Unreal Engine 4. I'm pretty sure all of those came out before Unreal Engine 5 was really uh, ready for prime time. But now there are a lot of people asking like, oh, hey, what is the right pipeline to have like a desktop VR experience that maybe does start to take advantage of like Lumen Nanite desktop specific things while also knowing that there is going to be a, a version of that that is going to work uh, on mobile. Uh, do, you, do you would you if someone was asking you like, I'm a VR developer trying to get started. I'm, I'm working in these different pathways. Would you still recommend that people stay like entirely in the forward rendering path and like, you know, upscale certain assets with like better LODs and that kind of thing? Or do you think we're starting to get to that point where there can be a little bit more of a hard fork to take advantage of desktop specific features? We're like, I think right on the cusp where you could go either way. And uh, it may depend on your target platform at that point or, um, the, the length of time that you have for your project. Uh, if you're going to release in about six months, you know, take it easy. But if you're going to release in like two or three <laughs> years, okay, maybe start seriously thinking about some of those uh, new features that are popping up. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. That's like a whole huge conversation that's going to be different for every single project, for every single platform out there, right? Yeah. Did you get a chance to see the uh, so there's the Unreal Engine like roadmap of like things that came out in, you know, 5.1, 5.2, 5.3. But then during Unreal Fest, they added a new tab that's like, here's the stuff that we're just working on. Like, we're not going to announce release dates for any of these features, but they're coming. So things like Lumen and Nanite working on certain Vulkan supported mobile chips, like that's a cool thing that is coming at some point. Uh, have you seen that roadmap? Uh, at all? I saw it when it was announced at Unreal Fest, uh, but I haven't really looked at it yeah. since then it's it's one of those things like yeah. i don't want to get too excited about these things that are coming like i want to <laughs> know that they're going to happen but i don't want to like remember and then be like hmm, if i just stick it out for two more months and hope that this next update is going to fix it yeah who knows that way lies madness right, yeah 
So what is it though that you're, you're, what, what is the one feature that you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, I really wish I had that in, in all of the day-to-day work that you do. Is there one of, you know, maybe not necessarily one of those things, but in general, something that you're looking for? I, I love how good substrate looks, uh, but it's, is it still marked as experimental? It. I think it's yes. the beta. So. But okay. Yes. I haven't um, really dived into that yet, but it's one of those things that's like, ooh, when that is good and ready, I'm going to get my fingies on that and I'm going to be the substrate guy. Um, yeah, but if that came out like a couple of years ago and it was like stable and, you know, had no conflict with other features of the program, um, yeah. That'd be the one feature. Well, I was telling Alex on, on the last episode when we did our, our recap of Unreal Fest, they, there was a session right at the end uh, with Ferrari about Substrate. And the representatives from Epic there made it clear that Substrate is the replacement for the material system. And it's not an and or kind of situation. So we're kind of all going to have to get used to it, I guess, at some point. But I, I hope that they maybe make some of the basic features more... Uh, you know, uh, uh, palatable for for folks who just kind of need, you know, more basic stuff. But certainly you can see Unreal is getting pretty far away from the mobile track or, you know, like the Unity model of, you know, make it work first and then make it look pretty. You know, I I think we're kind of getting pretty far down the line away from that with something like Substrate. So I'm excited for it, though, I have to say. Yeah, I I want them to just take their time with it and... uh... Make it make it nice and pretty, and a, a fluid uh, transition from non-substrate to substrate, and I'm going to be all on board. Yeah. It's interesting to think about how, you know, for anyone who has a, a fairly technical background, we get really excited about new features Unreal Engine is coming out with, even if it's marked as experimental. And it's so tempting to try to use those things in production, but you know, anything that can potentially crash something or ruin a pipeline, you really got to stay away from it. Um, I had some interesting conversations at Unreal Fest with various opinions about whether they wish Unreal would focus more on you know optimizing and stabilizing the existing features or people who are like, no, no, I love that they just release everything. It just, it's so exciting to get to play with this big box of toys. Where do you fall on that spectrum, so, Steve? So, okay, let's talk about that <laughs> because I have a few questions. Um, I wonder the people who want them to f- spend more time uh, optimizing features and focusing on the existing stuff, I wonder if they are parts of larger teams or if they would fall within the camp of like a pipeline engineer or someone like that who is focused on like the stability of a project as their like day to day. If so, th- I, I have never worked at a company as big as Island Immersive. Um, there are so many people in a project. Uh, I prior to this, I'd work with like three people on an Unreal project or like two like not big teams. So if it was like, Hey, should we try enabling, you know, this feature and like, see if it makes things better. It's like, okay, you say yes, you say yes. Good to go. Let's try it. But you know, when you're at a studio, AAA game dev studio with like a hundred, 500 people, like it's a 
big deal to like flick some of those check boxes and, and see how things go. Um, so when, when we talk about like, should they spend time optimizing these features? It's not like a, like my personal preference would be like more nice, new, shiny things. Hey, I love nice, new, shiny things as much as any other tech artist, but I also love when projects are able to ship and, <laughs> and uh, make money. So there's my answer. <laughs> yeah, it's a good answer. Uh, so I think a little bit about, especially when you describe um, larger teams and all this uh, of a company like Valve, where, you know, they're pretty open about saying like, there's a lot of fits and starts with different projects. A lot of them don't ship. Uh, apparently there were like five different, like meaningful attempts at Half-Life three and then rolling them back. And then like, they were finally okay with releasing Half-Life Alex. Um, can you say whether or not there's like just a lot of R and D like short projects, things that maybe get a certain distance down the line. And then it's like, ah, this isn't quite where we want to go. Or is it pretty much like, okay, everyone, we've got this new thing we're working on and it's full steam of ahead and it pretty much always ships. Mm, that's a great question uh, that I definitely don't think I can answer, but, um, okay, that's fine. <laughs> fun, fun fact that someone told me back when I worked in film, uh, something about like, 30% of all shows or films get put on indefinite hold at some point. Oh, uh, wow. Or, you know, like indefinite delay, like effectively canceled. Um, and that can happen anywhere from the beginning of pre-production to, you know, the end of post-production. It could be like a Batman scenario where like the VFX are basically done and it's like cut. It could be, uh, you know, some film that is only a script and it is um, cut, but yeah, um, I've worked on two, three or four films, two shows and some commercial video projects. Uh, I only have one thing I can point to on Netflix that I've actually worked on. Uh, <laughs> it's, and, and this is before, um, like all the layoffs and uh, the economy went boom and stuff. Like th this is before all that 30% of everything would get canceled at some point. And that's just, you know, the nature of the business. Um, so to your question of like, uh, do companies of this scale, like pursue like large R and D efforts. Um, I, I think with, triple a studios i would imagine that every studio like does to some degree um and uh i i do wonder how that balance has shifted uh with how the game industry is having lots of layoffs right now yeah and you can answer this question totally independent of ILM Immersive, but out of all the projects you've worked on that, you know, uh, got canceled or suspended indefinitely, what percentage of them would you say that you were still allowed to show any of the work you did from them versus like, nope, strict NDA, you, that stuff can never see the light of day? What can I talk about? So I'm not sure if... <clears throat> well, I think that answers the question for the record. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if an NDA expires when a company no longer exists. So there's that. Yeah, uh, that that it, it definitely does not. But you can be careful if you yeah, but really. Who, think who comes after you if you break an NDA with a company? Boom! That doesn't this guy's exist. thinking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I'm not credited on anything, but I did work on um, um, 
I did work on a Netflix show called Super Giant Robot Brothers uh, that came out a um, year and a half ago, two years ago. Not in the credits, um, but I got to do a lot of cool VFX on that. That was fun. Um, but yeah, like when you're working on a game or a film, there's a good chance you're not going to be able to actually show any of the work that you've been on for three to five years. Like it, it, you want to toe that line of like, you want to be able to like publicize for all your followers and everything, like all the cool stuff you've done, like help build your portfolio. But at the same time, like there's a strategic method to like when that stuff is announced and released. So you can't, you know, violate that certainly. So, uh, yeah, it's tough, uh, especially like, you know, when, when all these layoffs are happening and, you know, thousands of people have been working on games that like won't be out for the next two or three years. That means they can't show anything from what they've been working on for the next three years. So, um, yeah, very. And then hard to get. And then after you've been laid off, it's hard to get a, a new job with a portfolio that doesn't show any of what you've done, which in theory would be, you know, your most recent work is typically your best work. Right. right? It's it's hard. And um, yeah, very little of what I have done in games and film I'm actually able to show. So, you know, having personal projects that are unpaid and just like help you expand and show off your skill set are vitally important, you know at any at any point in your career yeah do you do you have like a little side project that you're working on right now that's totally independent of your your day job not currently uh i've tossed around a few ideas um but i haven't like pulled the trigger on anything um there's this thing called baldur's gate 3 that has been um, oh, heard of that one yeah i could so, talk about this for a while oh yeah uh I, that and then cyberpunk so I regret that I do not have many personal projects in the work. I sacrificed those on the altar of um, doing nothing. <laughs> I hear that. What do you think of the uh, Phantom Liberty update for Cyberpunk? Wait, don't. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I, I got to. I just started this. Please don't spoil okay. anything. Oh my god! I, I was in a spoiler-free way. Okay, like, thumbs up. I, I'm, I'm not very far in it either. Uh, Jacob, so okay, I, I, okay. I can't spoil anything. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, I – can we talk about Starfield a little bit? Yeah, yeah, that, okay. that I've been. Uh, okay, so I, I have played Skyrim for probably over a thousand hours of my life uh, across – any of Skyrim VR? Yes. Just out of curiosity. A lot of Skyrim yeah. VR. I love Skyrim <laughs> VR. Like, I have never felt as engaged in a game as when I'm in a tavern in Skyrim, like, holding an actual physical beverage, sitting on, like, a stone <laughs> bench and, like, listening to the, the vibes and everything. Like, it's, that is the best. Uh, love Skyrim. Uh, I thought Fallout 4 was, like, eh, pretty good. Like, same with Fallout 4 VR. Like, I could tell those artists did an incredible job. Fallout's never really been my thing. But then Starfield was announced, and I was like, okay, I see this. I see, like, this looks really good. I do. I, do. I like both of those things. I, I'm i a sucker for sci-fi. So I thought, like, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this. I know that um, it might be buggy at launch, but, like, I'll enjoy it. Um, I also heard that... 
Starfield gets good at about 12 hours in. In my (laughs) personal opinion, if a game gets good at 12 hours in, that does not mean that it is a good game. Um, (laughs) I, I tried very hard to like Starfield, but I think because I was playing that along with Baldur's Gate at the same time and like seeing the contrast between the two, and, and yeah. like the the facial animation, you know, Starfield they did an <laughs> incredible job again. Like it's it loads extremely well. It's stunning. Like the, the art direction is incredible. But I just like can't connect with anything, and uh, I didn't mm-hmm. feel like the characters were that compelling. Um, I'm sure I'll go back to it and I'll love it. But um, doing them at the same time that's pretty tough. Um, yeah. Because, so I. I I did. I, I beat Baldur's Gate first, and that was an incredible game. I actually think that would probably be now in my like top five games I've ever played. Um, really, a, a pretty awesome experience. And then I went to Starfield, and yes, immediately felt the, probably a similar feeling. Um, for me, though, Starfield, like felt and this is going to be kind of dumb to say you know right when you get to the end of the game like for a lot of open world you know uh, games your expectations once you beat that main storyline and i won't spoil anything but like once you beat that main storyline that's when the fun really starts like that's when you're supposed to have a character who's gotten through all the the stages of the initial you know like you know, triumph, and now you're this hero that gets to explore the world and and do new things and all this other stuff, right? But the biggest problem I had is that you got to that point, and then I found I I just ran out of missions to play. I was just like, I I had saved up all the you know credits I needed. I built an awesome ship for myself. I you know I could fly around and build bases and stuff, and then I just like straight up ran out of quests to do and there was nothing really to guide me i felt towards where to find new content um because they had scaled it up so big and because the majority of the space that you could travel to was i i I guess somewhat similar to skyrim like most of the space there is pretty empty you know and you see all the same procedural caves right but in this case you can't just like walk around and you know fight dragons you have to fast travel everywhere and so you're in this constant like discontinuous loop of trying to find new things but you know where there isn't stuff and so you end up just like essentially saying screw all that which is really where all the fun should happen right um, yeah. So I was very frustrated with that. I, I definitely agree with what you said about all the fast travel. Uh, that yeah. I didn't realize it at that the time, the but that did thing. kind of pull me out of it. And I've been playing through Cyberpunk uh, after Baldur's Gate and not Starfield. Um, and like, I find that I never fast travel like in Cyberpunk. If I yeah. can travel like on a you know cool motorcycle and listen to music, like I'm going to do that because that's engaging to me. Um, I, th- I think that's the thing. Like in Starfield, if they had built a mechanism for you to feel still engaged, like like you were piloting your ship while traveling between different star systems and planets and stuff, I think it would. Like even if it took me a few minutes to to travel myself between one planet and another while still piloting my ship, 
I would have done it, right? But you, you just simply couldn't. If you like took your ship and pointed it in any one direction, you wouldn't get anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that was pretty disappointing, I think. Yeah, that's, that's a great point and not an easy thing to remedy because that the way they've structured it like that is like integral to like how the game operates, right? Uh, yeah. I see why yeah. they structured it that way and I completely agree with you. Like No Man's Sky is kind of like what comes to mind for what I would envision for a game like that with travel or uh, Elite Dangerous. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've considered starting No Man's Sky, but I, I honestly felt that like some of the procedural aspects of Starfield kind of turned me off to the idea of a procedural you know, universe in, in the sense that like, I didn't really feel or engaged in a lot of that content and maybe to the same extent you're saying where it's like it, it doesn't feel like you can connect to things is that i i have i think the ui and the fast travel by far was the biggest weakness there like you would land on a planet you go to a city and then you would open up your map and you couldn't see anything so you like couldn't find where the the merchants were you couldn't find where these things were even if you had visited them right so it wasn't exploration it was just like can you memorize different routes to it? And so you were completely driven by that UI of their like quests. Like you have to, you always have to check the box. I want to do this quest if you want to get anywhere. And, and that completely kind of killed it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see how it's going to change in the future. Um, but one, one thing you touched on procedural, uh, I've, I've noticed in the past a lot of, um, games, a lot of roguelikes and, and games like that use procedural as a way to just make a lot of content um, very quickly, very cheaply and effectively. Um, there's definitely a lot of risk in using procedural to make your content because procedural does not always mean engaging or intentionally placed. Um, a design at its core means that something is like intentionally created in a specific fashion. And um, it's very easy to rely on procedural, whether it's, you know, for an entire planet or for populating crowds. Uh, it's, it's great as a tool. Yeah. But you got to use that brush very lightly. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, well, here, uh, let's think about the opposite. What was your experience with Baldur's Gate? And like, Ooh, how do you um, feel about that? So the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, I, I was using a GPU from like five years ago. So when I got to a part in the game, and I'll leave it at that, um, performance took a nosedive. Uh, so I had to get yeah. like a modern GPU just to play the game. Uh, and they've had like patches and updates. They, they've done an incredible job of supporting the game post release. Um, I was blown away at like the character design, uh, the art design. Everything was just stunning. I, I could not get enough of that game. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I felt like the characters were very easy to connect with, uh, and I, I actually noticed that the quests were a lot more engaging than any other game that I've ever played before either. Um, uh, there are no fetch quests, no, like, go kill nope. 10 of these enemies and come back. Uh, every quest is a story, and um, it's almost like 
the game uses a lot of design to communicate an experience, which should not be a novel concept, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I hadn't even thought about the fact that there had not been any any of like fetch and like all, all of the the bullshit that you usually deal with um, in those kinds of games. But yeah, one hundred percent, I agree with you. I'd, and the art direction, yeah, definitely. I, I was so impressed with how well curated all of the environments were, how none of them felt thrown together in any way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and at the scale that they built that that game, I find that so impressive, right? And yeah. not even not not to even touch all of the different branches of narratives and stories that you could reach in that. Like the the it, it would be like on the surface it would seem impossible to to build that game yeah um i think it is what's most impressive is just just like yeah and and i think what's even more exciting is that there's so much more that they can do with it um and now that they've had you know this big success i'm hoping that accelerates their ability to to build experiences like this um like there's so much more you could do i i think back to games like um what was the one where like you perform different actions and you have like a karma score, right? That, that kind of moves you back and forth, right? Like there's a very vague uh, concept of that uh, in Baldur's Gate, but I feel like they could explore a lot more with how people around you perceive like the choices you've made. I think there's so much more that they can do uh, in terms of developing narrative. Like I, I was honestly, and, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but I was a little upset that you get to, you finish the game and then it's over. Like that was a <laughs> bit tough for me because I wanted to keep playing. Right. Like it was one of those where I didn't want to leave, um, which is definitely a good thing. But um, yeah, and I have so much good stuff to say about that game. Lately I've been um, looking up the, the, artists who make the games that I like and just messaging them on social media, not in like a weird or creepy way, but being like, Hey, uh, <laughs> I saw that you posted on art station, like this really awesome visual effect you did for Baldur's gate. Um, that was super cool. And like, thank you so much for like contributing to something that like meant so much to me. Um, again, not in like a weird or creepy way, but like it means a lot to people. If you just reach out and be like, Hey, what you did was awesome and I appreciate you. Like artists love that. And that never happens. Yeah. 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 Especially when there's not an ask, it's not like, Hey, great job on this. Can you please get me a job where you work or something like literally just a thank you for that really cool thing Mm -hmm. you did. That's Mm -hmm. everyone appreciates Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so as long as we're talking about games, I, I'd love to query uh, Steve a little bit about, you know, general design philosophy and whatnot, especially when it comes to VR experiences. As you guys were talking about Starfield and briefly mentioned No Man's Sky, I was thinking about how impressed I was by the port of No Man's Sky to work in VR. A lot of times it's it's kind of a it feels very much an afterthought to turn something from a, a regular game into VR. And No Man's Sky feels really, really good, especially the onboarding, the way they introduce you to how the controls are different. Um, I think the, the team there did a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, Horizon Call of the Mountain, which is a, a Unreal Engine game. It's not really a port, but I do like how a lot of those mechanics came to VR. Um, Assassin's Creed is, looks like that's going to have a really good VR port coming out as well. Um, 
in general, and I, I don't think, Steve, that you've had any experience with that general philosophy or that general um, path of bringing something that wasn't in VR to VR, but maybe if you want to talk a little bit about what are your, some of your favorite VR experiences, what do you think makes a compelling VR experience? Are, you know, is there anything that, that is kind of on your mind these days in that front? Yeah. Um, my favorite ILM immersive experience is... Uh, Vader Immortal 3. So the Vader Immortal games, if anyone isn't familiar, uh, there's a mini game in them called the Lightsaber Dojo, where it's effectively just like you have a lightsaber or lightsabers and you just, you know, hit things. Um, like Luke Saber, <laughs> but uh, with droids, I guess, would be a good tagline for that. Um, I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time in that game. Um other than that, I tend to take a lot of meetings and walk about mini golf um, instead of just Zoom <laughs> calls. If, if it's like a situation where like we don't have to screen share or something or like mm -hmm. we're not talking about something that's like um, under NDA or like a secure thing. Um, yeah, walk about mini golf is a lot of fun because it gets you out of your chair and you and someone else can actually like do a thing and not have to like stare at a screen. Well, I mean, you are, but. It's not a 16 by 9 <laughs> Right. It doesn't feel right, like right. it. Um, other than that, hmm, I'm open to recommendations. Yeah. Um, well, real quick, we have to geek out for a second about Vader Immortal 3 because you're the first other person I've spoken to, and I can't believe we didn't cover this last year, because I'm sure it was true then too, that is still playing that game pretty actively, specifically the lightsaber dojo part. Um, I play it all the time. It's my favorite workout in VR, like no shade to Supernatural or, oh, or Beat Saber. Yeah, it's the only thing I can do in VR that can actually get my heart rate like at a level that I would consider like proper exercise. Um, although <laughs> it's changed a little bit for me because um, when I first started playing it, I was all about dual wielding lightsabers and throwing them. And a lot of the exercise would come from like the constant throwing motion of what I was doing with the lightsabers. Since then, I've gotten mm -hmm. much better at like maybe one hand with lightsaber, the other hand using the force, maybe pulling a blaster now and then. And so it's a little bit more like deliberate and a little less like, ah! Although some levels, I do feel that's the best strategy. So tell us for a minute, like what's your general approach when you're hitting, especially some of those uh, crazier red levels in, in Lightsaber Dojo? So, Alex, it sounds like you're starting to use the force and think like a Jedi. <laughs> if, yeah. uh, um, <laughs> yeah, um, I have not progressed past the point of just total frenetic <laughs> gameplay. Um, my style is lightsaber in each hand, fling them back and forth, just throw it as far as you can. And if you can like get the rhythm and you're like, like throwing it directly at a target over and over and over, uh, nothing will get in your way. Um, I don't know if there's an optimal way to play if you're supposed to like do it calmly or um, without shouting profanities at your um, empty living room. Uh, but that's the way I play. And that's, that's the way I, I've always done it. Uh, I don't think I'll ever progress past that. So the thing that drew me to 
trying a slightly different strategy was just the fact that the the actual like lightsaber droids that come out to battle you, uh, none of them can be killed by like one lightsaber attack. Now you can, of course, go like lightsaber, 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 and most of them will go down after like five punctures. Uh, but I was I did notice like, oh, actually, if you use the force correctly, like you can just pick them up and throw them at something else. And it's a it's a two for one. You can destroy two things at once. So that got me thinking, like, maybe I shouldn't be totally in frenetic lightsaber mode all the time. And now I've gotten much, much better at uh, very deliberately using the force for those. And then also really just treating the force always as something where you can get two guys at once, whether it's the weird barfing lava monsters or the little, you know, uh, practice droid things that pop up or stormtroopers. Like I will always use the force and make sure I'm throwing the thing at another thing. So that's been a strategy that's working pretty well for me right now. <laughs> it's it's a fun so, game with surprisingly a lot of layers like that. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I, I don't think I've told this story before. Uh, I definitely, probably not on the podcast. But my so my very first job, and I think you'll find this interesting, Steve, um, when I moved to Manhattan was for a pop up of The Void. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I have both done and seen the Secrets of the Republic of the die. Empire, yeah. I, the, I, yeah, the, the Secrets of the Empire, sorry, the ILMX Labs Star Wars experience that was made for The Void. Um, because I was, you know, watching people do it all day uh, and calibrating it. So I, I feel like I've experienced every, you know, every little bit of that. Uh, and that was an awesome experience. Um, I, unfortunately, it's not something folks can try today. Uh, the Void went bankrupt, I believe, after COVID. So I think they're back so now. I think they're I, back we can talk about this for a I long time. First of all, the trailer yeah. is on the ilmimmersive.com website, so everyone should check out the trailer. Yeah. Um, there is an incredible really book cool. written by Curtis Hickman that is like my favorite thing in the world to read right now, um, all about his experience you know, running the void, and it talks a lot about Secrets of the Empire as well as the other experiences yep. they've made. But, uh, but Jacob, you have to roll out a little bit more. Like, What was that job? Like, What was set up? What were some of the things oh, that yeah. would happen? Well, given that they have gone bankrupt and have restructured, I, I do feel like my any contract I had was probably null avoid at, at this point. So I, I'll spill a, a few bits, um, though I, I don't want to get in trouble with, with Disney or anyone else. Um, is that so? First of all, the the motion capture system was was pretty cool. It, it's it was Vicon. It was like uh, uh, so you know it was my first ex, you know experience like. And kind of setting up and calibrating those big, like, I think we had 40 or 50 cameras around the stage, um, essentially. Um, and behind the scenes, like, it, what really made that experience special, and I don't think this is, is in any way proprietary, you could guess this just doing it, um, you know, it was the fact that we did things like have, you know, uh, uh, big trans transducers in the floor or we had heat lamps. So, like, there was a part in the experience, for example, like when you're, you were on a cargo bay and, you know, you were docking and we had transducers in the floor that would vibrate the whole room. And then you, you would walk out and you'd be shooting things over a lava pit and there was a heat lamp and you would feel the heat on your face. And it was one of those, like, I think really magic moments for a lot of people. It, it was pretty exciting to see folks go through, go through it because of like how totally immersed you were. It was one of those things like, 
it was totally impractical for people to do in their homes, right? It was not something they could experience anywhere else. So it was a one-to-one, you know, it was a physical stage where like, if you sat down, on, if you saw a bench, you could sit down on it. And I think that was really special for a lot of people. Um, in terms of like, the 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 more you know fun, the funnier parts of it was like people would run into walls all the time. People wouldn't believe that they were actually like in a you know a guided system. So yeah, they would just try to break it in all sorts of crazy ways. And um, yeah, every once in a while, like one of the effects wouldn't fire, and so you'd have to like sneak behind them and like do a little like you know James Bond dodges around people while they were trying to like navigate through it but uh yeah no it, it was a it was a fun experience to 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 work on briefly but uh yeah, yeah I, I i know that one and, and for well. the void for anyone who doesn't know so it was you know vr experiences but uh extra immersion multipliers like as jacob mentions there's heat sometimes there's smells there's a lot of physical tactility of actual things there and they're all multiplayer um in this one you're all stormtroopers there's k2so um from uh rogue one who i'm sure will also be making an appearance in in andor season two uh you fight darth vader uh there's all these incredible moments one question i have for you jacob is um Curtis talks a lot about in the book about how they really did try to design as much of a branching narrative as they could. So if someone tried like a weird little thing, they open a door in a different way or they they fail something like there's a puzzle you need to solve. There's a moment where like three of you are holding off, you know, you're you're battling and then another one of you has to like figure out this puzzle. Like, did you get to see some of the rarer things that can occur if someone does a weird thing? I so I mean, I, I think the thing is they I, I think you want to, I, you, when you step into that, I think it was so immersive that you really wanted to believe that there were Easter eggs all over the place. Right. Like it was to the point where you were like, after you sat down on that first bench and it was, and it clicked that like, Oh my God, everything I see, like I can touch. Then when you went into a space and like, there was, you know, extra buttons on the console, you wanted to press them. And you thought, in your head, oh well, maybe if you press them in a certain order, right, right, because it, it it was more real than just like background textures that you're used to working with in games or something where you just hover your mouse over and press E, right? right? Like that's a different in, in level of engagement. So I, I yeah, I, everyone really wanted to believe that there were Easter eggs, and, and there were a few scenarios where like you might have to just get honestly pushed along because the way the whole experience worked was that you needed a a steady flow of people through the space. And there was only one route. There were a few, there were a few locations, if I remember clearly, that had like multiple, you know, uh, uh, copies of it or, you know, it was a little less pressure, but particularly I worked at one of the pop-ups. It was just one. And so people were, and it was in the middle of the world trade center. So people were coming you know, in a line, you had to get them through. And and there was really no way to like create super unique moments where that might time things differently or, or might change, you know, it, but it was, it was very smart how, how, how things were done. And, and again, I don't think I'm, 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 I'm kind of leaking anything here because you could have experienced this yourself, but like, for example, um, part of the, like the, the onboarding sequences, you get sat down in this, cargo bay you're like being transported to you know the 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 location where all all of the events are going to happen and essentially it will just you know you you get 
you get in and then the narrator will kind of talk through things and, and you'll just kind of sit there and wait until the, the people in front of you had made it through right. a certain part of the experience. Right. So it was like all completely timed and gated. Um, but yeah, I, it was very compelling. And, and it was, it, I think it was actually for me, um, I thought it was pretty interesting. Like at, at that point, I was either going to be like a waiter <laughs> uh, because I just needed cash. I was out of money, right? So I was like, I was either going to be like a waiter or something until I found a position I was really excited about. Or I saw this. I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. But I, I felt like I learned a lot about um, kind of a, a physical location-based yeah. VR. And I learned a lot about how people react in VR through that, um, which I, I think was pretty Steve, cool. does any of this really cool. uh, mean anything to you? Or, or do you, do you <laughs> know about this project? <laughs> I do. Uh, again, I've only been at Immersive for uh, a year. Yeah, of course. And that was a long time ago. XLab started in 2015. Right. Um, and that, yeah, and the void has been gone for a few years now anyway, but, um, I saw this in London in 2018, just to give some people a timeline. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've seen the video of it and everything. I've talked to people who've worked on it and, um, it really makes me think that like a good VR experience like that is just so much like theater yeah. and that, and that you're effectively, yeah. you know, <laughs> blindfolding the user and like guiding them through an experience that you have specifically curated for them for, you know, their, their sight and their hearing and allowing them to like physically traverse something that you, you created every inch of that place. Um, and it's, it's yeah. really compelling being able to, um, shepherd someone through something like that. That's, that can be so special and engaging to them. Uh, I really wish I could try something like that at the void. Um, it is such a shame that, you know, they had to close down everything, but, um, yeah, if, if anyone does have a chance to visit the location based VR experience, totally do it. It's, there's nothing like it, you know? Um, yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. It's still, um, what, what I would say, I was gonna say yeah. there's still sandbox VR. I know they're still in business doing stuff. Um, and, and Steve, have you ever gotten to do location based VR before? Yeah, there's a, a VR arcade here called Flip Switch VR uh, in Kansas City. Uh, I went there a couple times a few years ago um, prior to COVID. Uh, and they had like some really cool like custom in-house made games uh, using Vive Pro at the time. Um, if, if that kind of dates it, that was like 2019, yeah. 2020 or something. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And just like the amount of work that goes into like making a location based um, setup, like you were saying, with like the transducers in the floor and like air cannons that are like specifically <laughs> scripted to go off at certain points. Like it's, it's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I, I think that the, the, my biggest takeaway along the lines where you, I think what you said that it, it's like theater is totally accurate because I, I walked away from that saying, wow, I, I don't know if I, I could ever like create a, you know, an experience like this just because of how much personnel and how much the performances of even like the people who are ushering you into this experience or like at the void, you had someone always following you mm -hmm. in the room just in case like something stupid <laughs> happened, right? Like uh, in case you start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, because like, think about it. 
you could very easily swing around. You were holding a, a blaster, right? You could easily swing around and whack someone with it. Or like there were pneumatic doors. You could easily get like, you know, hit by one of the pneumatic doors as, as you were moving. And um, yeah, there were all, I mean, not to mention if tracking was thrown off, like you would all of a sudden start running into stuff and, and it would be, you know, a bit of a, a problem. So you'd have to have people there tap them on the shoulder. Hey, remove your headset and like look around. Yeah. So I, I, I've walked away from that saying, wow, like that's such a challenge. You really do need to treat it like it's a theater performance. You need professionals who are, are dedicated to the narrative who are dedicated to the thought of what it is you're creating. Uh, because really otherwise it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it can easily fall apart. Yeah. When you approach uh, VR UX design and that kind of stuff now, Steve, uh, do you think of it in general as something more like theater? What kind of precedents are kind of guiding you as you think about what works and what doesn't? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I fortunately am not the one who has to make those difficult decisions on our team. We have some really incredible designers on our team at Isle of Immersive, um, real wizards who, you know, put so much thought and care into like every single consideration for how someone could experience something. Um, a lot, a lot of times when I think about making a 3d space, uh, I come back to the architecture side of it, mm. actually. I'm not an architect. I'm not a trained architect in any way. You play one on TV, but though. my first... <laughs> I, um, I was at an architecture firm doing VR, so I, uh, I, I approached Unreal for the first time through the context of architecture. So um, when I'm designing spaces, I tend to uh, fall back on like what works for that and... Um, thinking about like how people are going to experience it as a story where they're introduced to a 3d space um, and what things they're going to want to latch on to. Uh, like you were saying with like, if you give people like a panel with buttons on it and they know that like you can push some of those buttons, are they going to try to push every single button? Are they going to try to type their name? Like <laughs> if you let them, they will like, yeah, you got to consider it. Yeah. And they're going to assume something will happen. Yeah. So that means yeah. like if you want to give them that gratification, <laughs> you got to make something happen or you take the panel away entirely. This is a lot like raising children, actually. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hmm. I haven't thought about that before. <laughs> what's uh, what's your headset of choice right now, by the way? Or how do you feel about the general uh, market of what's available? Mm, yeah, so I used to have a Valve Index, uh, and then Quest 2 came out. I bought one of those, and I immediately sold my Valve Index. Oh, wow. Uh, I have never looked back yet. Um, yeah, I really love not having to, like, mess with the tracking and, like, moving things around um, and just, like, having a headset. I can just put it on anytime and, like, be in an experience. Um, I just never had a very fluid experience with like steam VR yeah. and like launching stuff. So, uh, yeah. Um, 
that's it for me. And for better, two right now. for better, or for worse, the, the kind of black magic of, of what happens inside the meta ecosystem right now. Um, I, I can say I was just at Meta's offices on Monday and Tuesday uh, talking about some, oh, cool. some cool things coming on their roadmap. Can't talk about those. But um, yeah, the, the way that if you're moving around in a less than ideal frame rate and everything kind of uh, reprojects and, and smooths out, there's something that happens in there that just unfortunately can't work at that level for any of the Steam VR based headsets. And it's made a lot of projects where people were excited about like Vario or like Pimax or, or the index where you can get sharper or a wider field of view. Um, but when it comes to doing something like photorealistic, like an ArcViz scenario, uh, unfortunately, we just keep going back to the Quest headsets because it's just going to be the smoothest. And if we want to turn on, you know, ray traced reflections and crazy things like that, that's going to give the best overall experience. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, uh, it's definitely important for people to understand that, like, just because two headsets call themselves headsets does not mean you can, like, take an application from one to the other with no complications it's there are a lot of factors to consider and that's putting it lightly yeah but open xr i thought we were supposed to have that one solved <laughs> partially partially solved open xr has its own <laughs> ball of wax can of worms etc <laughs> and the other thing too is like there's so many things in the open xr api that are not working out of the box with unreal you can like you can pull things from those API, that API, but it's, it gets complicated. Have you ever had to deal with that, Steve? Like there's so many things in OpenXR and to like try to pull some of those things into Unreal if they're not already there. I, I don't know, I find it to be a huge hassle. <laughs> I, I have not personally. Yeah. Um, I do not envy you though. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, are you thinking of getting a Quest 3 by the way? Ooh, I've only heard good things about it, so. It is I probably will. My, my two cents on it at the moment, because we were giving a bunch of demos on it last week, is that the um, the headset itself, I like how it's closer to the face and it feels less like top heavy. Um, but the battery and everything is much closer to your face, too. And so when it starts to heat up, you like feel the heat radiating on you. And it's the first time where it's like, hmm, really? this might not be good for my brain or my eyes. Um, so, you know, I think in small doses, it's it's objectively a better headset than the Quest 2. But uh, I'd, I'd be well, careful. <laughs> Think of it this way. If you were playing a Star Wars game yeah. and you were holding a lightsaber, <laughs> it would just feel that more engaging because it would yeah, feel like it's right in front of your face. Has anyone ever talked about so, if lightsabers like give off radiation? Like, does anyone in the Star Wars universe get cancer because mm. they use the lightsaber too much? Well, it, we know it, it does cause heat, right? Because it when it when it goes through doors, it melts around it, right? So like there has to be residual heat coming off of it. But you would think, you know, that it would like burn some eyebrows off at, at some point. And we haven't seen that, you know. You know, one of my favorite things about Lucasfilm <laughs> is that we have a division of people called the Lucasfilm Story Group that is responsible for keeping track of like the Star Wars like canon and, and like what is and what <laughs> isn't and like what characters, you know, know each other what relationships exist what lightsabers do and don't do so like if there's ever a case where you're like working on a thing and you're like hmm should this lightsaber be making like someone sweat because it's held like right here next to the face there's literally someone you could talk to wow. and be like hey, dude, uh, yeah so like these and they will have the definitive answer exactly for, and it's like yeah. that is someone's job that's astounding to me 
What, what do they? I bet that they just spend most of the time reading Reddit threads, right? Like, uh, <laughs> like what do you? They actually, that sounds like an awesome job, but also a stressful one. Yeah, they actually uh, spend all their time in um, in in a tower wearing robes, sitting in a circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Much, much, yeah, much like the uh, Jedi High Council. Uh, yeah, basically the same thing. So here's the, the weird thing that Ahsoka made me realize when it came out. Uh, because of the current status of, of Star Wars canon, because when Disney bought um, Lucasfilm, uh, I think they said officially, like, the extended universe no longer canon, but then most of the stuff that, that they helped make and produce did become canon. So when Ahsoka came out, I realized, oh, hey, all those seasons of, like, Clone Wars and Rebels, now canon. And because those are TV shows with a lot of seasons and a lot of content, suddenly, like... 90% of the, the canon of Star Wars, just entirely based on time, comes from those cartoons. And then, like, you know, the, the movies are just percentage-wise a much smaller portion of the canon. So I actually imagine the story group, they spend a lot of time looking at those anime scripts. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I, am, I, am I saying anything incorrect to your knowledge, Steve? Uh, not, not to my knowledge. Um, yeah, there are a lot of people I work with who are, like, fiercely protective of like the canon not in like a like it's uh like their profession to be protective of it i mean like they they have been raised on this and like they love star wars and it's like a big part of them um and a lot of people i work with who are like i think i've seen one or two star wars movies i'm not really sure uh it's kind of funny because like every everything you do in um star wars canon has to be like uh, in line with the story. You can't just like, you know, kill Darth Vader, you know, without like <laughs> approval, you know? Um, yeah, but I, I've actually never seen any of the animated shows and I've only heard really good things about um, uh, both of those um, that you've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, this has been a, a super awesome conversation. Uh, it's getting a little late. Jacob, do you have any final questions for Steve? Man, uh, I have I have plenty, but I get the feeling I know his answer. Um, which is, <laughs> uh, I no comment. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I I think this has been a great episode. I, I I think we've gone on so many awesome tangents. Uh, I I'm excited to to maybe hear from Steve. What's next in his Unreal Engine journey? Like, what's the thing he really wants to learn? Or, or, or you know, we've already heard about Substray and a few of those other things. But like, what's one skill that that you really want to develop? You know, in your Unreal Engine journey, and uh, and uh, how are you going to get there? I, I don't know. How are you going to get there? <laughs> I I've always believed that the best resource you have is the people around you. Um, so one thing I want to get better at is understanding more holistically how a project comes together and um, how teams are led and what every discipline um, does, you know, to bring everything together at the end of the day. Because um, I'm kind of, you know, secluded in my tech art category at times. Um, I'll admit that. I don't know a lot about like animation or um, enough about lighting. I'd, I'd love to like get a more holistic understanding of how everything works. Um, and in order to do that, it's just going to be a lot of uh, ambushing people and uh, picking their brains a little bit, uh, maybe buying people coffee and, and hearing them talk about what they work on, um, both inside and outside of Island Immersive, of course. Um, 
we have a really cool 3D community here in Kansas City. Uh, so I'm hoping to like get more engaged with that as well. Um, I would strongly encourage anyone listening to this. Uh, you probably have a Unreal Engine support group. I mean, community resource uh, or 3D resource uh, that has a lot of people just like you. Uh, you should probably get to know them and um, learn from them and with them. Uh, they're, they're a really great resource for you. Um, other than that, Nanite and Lumen, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just see those get better and better. Um, just as a yeah. little bit of fun, a fun way to cap this off, Steve, I've DM'd you a Star Wars name generator. Now, you might already have a Star Wars name. I know everyone oh, of us who went so on Star Cruiser like, found one and stuck to it. But I would like you to humor us and uh, and generate a few different names and then pick one and let this be your, your definitive Star Wars name. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> this is too many options. <laughs> While you're thinking about it, I'll just uh, give a big thanks in this episode to uh, our producer, Alan, who's uh, going to do a wonderful job cleaning up certain parts <laughs> of the audio. Uh, thanks to Light Twist. Thanks to Jacob. Thanks to Steve. Uh, if anyone wants to follow Steve, I'll let him promote anything he wants to in particular, but he's always doing great things over on uh, X, formerly Twitter, at S-B-I-E-G-U-N-1, so S-Begin-1. Uh, and then his name, by the way, is Steve.Uasset, which is amazing. And you can also find him on ArtStation at ArtStation.com slash S-Begin. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is a whole other conversation, but I've basically... Oh, good. Twitter. Okay, good to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but hey, it's it's still there. If anyone wants to chat, uh, just message me. I'm... I'm always down to um help people out uh yeah art station um and then i'm on blue sky, blue sky i think as well what's your blue sky handle? um what is my blue sky handle? that's a great Do we question. follow each other on blue sky now i need to check um, i'm on blue sky wait did i send oh you, you, you totally might have sky? that's absolutely possible <laughs> i did yeah um my name is s vegan s-b-i-e-g-u-n at there we go blue sky yeah um, my Wookiee <laughs> name, more importantly, is Haru, presumably with a question mark at the end, because that makes more sense to me. Haru, can you? Wow. I love this. I'm going to spend. It's really fun. Like, and what I love about these generators is like they all seem totally accurate like absolutely you can and, th and there's so many things in here male names female names bothan names uh uh locations and they all feel authentically star wars which is pretty cool yeah the ruins of of crony wow. on bilbra the city of dulu on game mm -hmm. aldos um excellent well thank you so much steve for your time it's been a great conversation um i like the idea of you being like a way that we mark the passage of time so maybe against your will or not we're just going to make you come back like once a year just to, to check in and see how things are going <laughs> i'll be here great. for it guys thanks steve right. everyone have a good well, night wait 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 yeah, wait wait, 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 wait. Sorry. go ahead jacob oh. go ahead you gotta you gotta let me tell people yes go ahead jacob right. do your thing you, you gotta you gotta <laughs> like you gotta comment you gotta rate subscribe all those things let us know. Who else do you want on the podcast? What do you want us to talk about? And uh, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>